Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we are going to do a rapid fire style podcast. We haven't done this in a while where I basically take literally as many questions as I possibly can, and I try to run through them as fast as possible. Um, I say fast as possible, but I don't mean I'm going to rush these questions because I never do that. Um, So as you will soon see, I am going to go into as much detail as possible, as much detail as needed per question. But we have easily over 20 questions today that we are going to get through. So what I want you to do, the listener, two things. Number one, shout out to all the people who jumped in the private Facebook forum. That is BBP Private Forum. Um, originally, it was created as an accountability resource for people who bought our books, which it still is. It's a place where when you buy Functional Muscle or Density or Functional Muscle 2.0 or FIT or any of those books, um, all of them excluding Built For You, which is the recent one we just launched because that has its own separate private forum. But um, for all the other eBooks and for people who uh, consume our content on that level, they get access to this group and it's a place to get access to me for help with those books. But I did say in a podcast either last week or the week before, like, hey, for the rest of the month in September... Make sure you click the link, jump in the group. I'm going to open it up for free access, and I'm glad I did because a ton of people jumped in, and it's just blown up the Q&A thread. So I'm going to say it again. If you are listening to this podcast, if you love training and nutrition, if you want to be a part of a community that is also in love with training and nutrition and constantly looking to better themselves, and you want a place where you can ask questions, get ideas, share thoughts, and join the conversation that we are having on this podcast, literally, make sure you jump into this group. It is free. I'm not charging anything right now. Um, Jump in there. Get access to it while you can. There's a link in the show notes. It'll be the first link. I'm going to link that. I'm going to link the eBooks as well below that since I just mentioned those. But jump in there and join the conversation. I I posted for questions for the podcast and wow, (laughs) people went crazy on it. And so we have a lot of really good questions that I'm going to fire off today and I'm excited about that. Um, The second thing real quick. If you enjoy this style of rapid fire where instead of me answering, you know, four to six questions in massive detail compared to 25 questions where I just start cranking out information, let me know. I want to know which you prefer. As the listener, I literally make this show with you in mind. So when I choose guests for the show, when I think of questions to answer, when I reach out to people to have certain conversations, when I create podcasts about things like carbs or protein or calories or training or full body program design, all these ones that I've been doing on Mondays, when I create these, I'm thinking of you, the listener. This is for you. So I want to create value. So please do me a huge favor. Let me know. The best way for you to do this is to reach out to me on Instagram or you can email me. Cody at Boom Boom Performance is my email. Cody.BoomBoom is my tag on Instagram. Hit me up, DM me, email me, ask me any question you have, and please let me know what you like about the show. If you enjoy these these 
styles of Q&As where I just keep cranking them out, if you enjoy me t taking five questions where I go in massive detail, or if you get value out of both of them, because I can do both of them, and I can alternate. And let me know if you like the ones where I just pick one topic and I just go on that. Um, I really do want to get feedback from you guys. So don't ever think you're bugging me. I actually love talking to people. I love communicating with people. I love that my inbox stays full and I go through those and I spend a part of each of my day getting to talk and connect with the people that I work with personally and the people that listen to this podcast. So um, that is my little spiel and rant getting into this episode. But we're just going to jump right into it. So the first question of today is from... This one was emailed in using the Ask Boom Boom form, and it is from Lace and Neck. I'm not sure. Um, she said, is it possible to hit a point in your lifting where you truly max out despite continuing to train at it? Specifically, I'm talking about my back squat. It's been over two years, and my back squat PR won't move. I back squat often. I train variations like pause back squats, low volume, high volume. I worked on my glute strength and activation, strengthened my hamstrings, worked on bracing. I feel like I've done it all. I've done all the things, and while my PR has improved as, as far as coming up out of it faster. Sorry, I read that wrong. I feel like I've hit a wall. Please tell me I have not reached my true potential. So I think uh, I think natural genetic limits are a thing. I think a natural potential is a thing. Um, I think with strength, I think it's further away than most people realize. I do think there's something in the tank left for you, um, but I can't tell you what it is. To be completely honest with you, I would have to assess you. Um, so I would look at your squat form and I would say, "Hey, like you're, you need to work on thoracic extension and rotation. Hey, you need to work on ankle mobility. Hey, you need to work on um, internal external rotation of your hips. It could be a mobility thing. Or I say, "Hey, your quads or your glutes or your calves or something is very very tight. We need to work on actual flexibility and stretching. So let's do some yoga. Let's do some dynamic stretching. Let's do some movement based stretching." Um, I would also say it could be a strength. So so I could see that you tend to cave in the bottom or you have trouble locking out or whatever it may be. I say, hey, we need to work on strength here. So it, it really just depends. Um, sometimes it's a, a matter of program design. So we could say, hey, you have a weak point in XYZ muscles. Let's incorporate some accessory movements to work on XYZ muscles so we can actually either build muscle, so actually hypertrophy the muscle or build strength and progressively overload that muscle to enhance its ability to move through the ranges of motion that you have weak points in. Again, it could be a mobility thing, so we have to program in some mobility. Um, it could be a flexibility thing. We have to program in some intraset stretching. Um, it could be an energy thing. It could be literally just calories. Like, hey, you're under eating. We need to fuel recovery better. Hey, you are way too stressed outside of the gym. You're training hard. You're in a deficit. You run a full-time business. You have three kids. I don't know your personal situation, but my point being is I see a lot of people who are stuck and I look at their lifestyle and I'm like, you're just too stressed. Let's manage your stress a little bit better. Let's get a little bit more sleep. So it could be any one number of things. Um, and the, the last thing I would say with that too, it could be a lack of variation. So I see a lot of people who will use a linear approach and it's, you know, all right, this week is four by 10 back squat. Next week is four by nine. The week after that is four by eight, then four by six. Four by, or sorry, four by seven, four by six, four by five, all the way to three. They build to a heavy three over the course of however many weeks that is. They take a deload and they repeat. Great progression plan for a beginner. And it works for most people. It works really well for hypertrophy, especially because you're just getting in a lot of volume over time. Um, I might not go that low in reps if my sole goal was hypertrophy, but you might need some form of daily or weekly undulated periodization. So if we look at Westside Barbell, home of some of the strongest motherfuckers in the world, they had a lot of variation. 
So they kind of went against the grain of you got to do the same exact thing every single week. And they were changing variations every one to two weeks. So they might change it every week or every other week where they're going from a barbell squat to a box squat to a safety bar squat to a front squat back to a barbell squat. Like rotating these things, low bar, high bar, and doing it more frequently. Um, it could be a matter of you're not spending enough time in each one. So maybe you are training too much variations because at times too much variation can cause less progressive overload. Sometimes you're lacking in progressive overload because you're not creating variation. Um, it could be an intensity thing. So you, uh, you mentioned some variation and I'm talking about variation with exercise selection, but it could be an intensity variation that you need, meaning weekly undulated periodization. This week I am doing five by five at 80%. Cool. Next week I am doing four by eight at 70% cool. The week after that, I am doing six by three at 65%. So now I just went three weeks of weekly undulated periodization where one week I am doing strength, one week I am doing hypertrophy, and one week I am doing speed. And if you have an upper lower day split, you have one day of deadlift, one day of squat. So week one squat is strength, week one deadlift is hypertrophy, right? Week two squat is speed, week two squat uh, deadlift is strength. Week three squat is hypertrophy, I can't remember what I already said, but my point is, is you're rotating these. So you don't spend a full day doing speed work for all your lifts. You spend one week doing speed for squat and then hypertrophy and strength for the others, right? And it works really well doing that in a daily undulated fashion as well. So let's say you're training three days a week. You can go full body, bench squat, deadlift, and you have one day for strength, one day for speed, one day for hypertrophy. Works really, really well, not only because you're hitting different intensities, but also because you're doing the squat three times a week. And you're doing it in forms that aren't going to beat you to shit. And the fact that your frequency is so high, your skill of the movement goes up. We got to remember one of the biggest components of building strength in a movement is skill acquisition. It's a neurological component that you just need to get better at the movement of a, of a squat. Well, how do you do that? Frequency. How does a pitcher get really good at pitching? The mechanics of actually pitching. He pitches a ton. He doesn't pitch once a week. He pitches multiple times a week. So just some thoughts for you. Um, the reality is, is, is the reason I wanted to answer it this way is, A, because I can't tell you the exact answer. It's too individual. I would need to assess you. This is why coaching is so powerful. B, I wanted the listeners to get a ton of ideas as to how they can change their training to enhance better strength. Um, and C, I don't have a C. Those are my answers. <laughs> so you ever do that? You're always like counting like, all right, so one this, two this, and then you're like, actually, I don't have that big of a list. No, just me. I'm kind of weird and talk to myself. Anyway, James Ward, second question. Actually, he has one, two, three, four questions. Way to utilize the comment section, bro. James Ward. Ooh, I like this. He has a training question, a nutrition question, a supplement question, and a random question. Training question. What approach would you suggest to build up hamstrings and glutes for someone who sits a lot for their job? Seems like whenever I try to do squats, I'm wrecked for days. Okay, so um, I would actually work on... Kind of just what I talked about. So I would stimulate more variation. Um, and you have to hit the hamstrings from multiple angles, joint angles. So I would do a couple things. Number one, I would do one to two exercises per week where I'm hitting the hamstrings with a consistently flexed hip with a slow negative. Um, so that would be like a glute ham raise is going to be your big bang for your buck. Do it with strict form, glutes tight hips locked out, so your hips are in extension, your knees are flexing and extensing. So you're doing hamstring curls, you're doing knee flexion, you're doing hamstring curls, uh, leg activation curls, hamstring work in general, 
only by moving your knees. Think about that. Your hips are locked out while your knees do the movement. Um, then I would do uh, another in that same position, so like a Swiss ball hamstring curl, a lying leg curl, a gliding leg curl, and I would do it for high reps. So the glue ham raise is going to be for low reps with a very slow negative. Um, the other variation is going to be a variation that you can hit more volume. So now we're doing two things. Number one, I personally like hitting the hamstrings. I think you get more out of it when you hit the hamstrings um, with – uh, your hips extended because your glutes fire, your hips are stable, and you can just create more tension in your entire posterior chain. So I would do two exercises per week in that fashion, hips locked, knees doing the deflection extension to create that leg curl. Um, and that's going to be low rep and high rep. Glute ham raise is going to be low rep with a very slow negative. Uh, le other leg curl variation like a lying leg curl is going to be high rep, uh, more volume, lighter weight, obviously, um, not any, uh, not a super slow negative. Then I would do one exercise uh, where you are doing hips extended or hips flex, sorry. So now you're doing like a seated leg curl. Now my hips are in flexion and I'm working the hamstrings through knee flexion and extension. Very, very important that we are changing the angle of our hip. Hips extended in the first one, hips flexed in the second one. This is changing our joint positioning and it is actually going to change the tension inside the muscle. I do believe there, there is a study done on the biceps that showed this favorable. Um, there hasn't been one on the hamstrings, but you can compare the ideology because the elbow flexion to get the biceps working is very similar to the knee flexing to get the hamstrings working. So I would carry over that same theory. Um, then I would do a heavy hip extension based movement with the slow negative. That's going to be RDL, right? So now we're doing a couple things here. We've, we've done two movements that are very uh, shortening based. What I mean by that is when you look at the stretch shortening cycle of a muscle, there's a stretch phase and a shortened phase. When you do a bicep curl, it's just the easiest to, to use that as an example. When I lower the dumbbell or the barbell, I'm going through the stretch phase. I'm stretching my bicep and I'm going into a locked out elbow position. When I'm in the shortened phase, I'm pulling my elbow up. I'm curling the weight, shortening the muscle, literally contracting. So we have the um, lying leg curl with the high rep and then we have the seated leg curl um, what I would say high rep as well, really emphasizing the shortening cycle, the contraction, the peak contraction and trying to squeeze the muscle as tight as we can. Two movements of the week doing that with different joint angles. Then we have two movements with different joint angles focusing on the stretch cycle, which is why we're encouraging the negative because we want to double down on that stretch phase. The first one being the glute ham raise. You're controlling that negative as slow as you can with just body weight. I don't even care if you assist yourself up. That's the whole point. The second movement is going to be the RDL. We're going a little bit heavier, again, emphasizing the stretch. You could even elevate your toes to encourage that stretch even more. But the whole goal here is to control that negative and really, really emphasize the stretch on your hamstrings. Um, that's what I would do. And then I would add, oh, you said glutes too. So that would be my hamstring work. So now I have four big movements. It doesn't mean you're limited to four exercises per week. But per week, I would target four, right? You're doing an upper lower split, let's say. That's two days a week where you're in your legs. You have two hamstring dominant movements. And then I would also include um, hip abduction on both of those days. So I would do one seated and one standing. Um, so again, hips extended, hips flexed. Um, and that's just to work external rotation of the hip. It's to work hip abduction. So you're, you're rotating your hip outward and you are also raising your leg laterally, which is going to be hip abduction. That's a primary function of the, uh, of the glutes. And I see a lot of guys avoid this because it's like the any Audi machine and it's kind of like a, a girly machine and guys don't want to do it. And guys kind of avoid working their glutes enough, in my opinion, which it's so important to train your glutes. 
But I do hip abduction a lot in my training, and I think it's very, very functional. I think it's very, very productive for squats and deadlifts because it encourages better abduction and external rotation of the hip, and it strengthens your glutes to avoid low back pain. Um, and it can actually also help create knee stability. But um, I would do that on both days. So that would be good for like your activation inside your warm up. One day you're doing like standing hip abductions. You could like walk laterally. And then one day you're doing seated hip abductions on a machine or with a band around your knees. Um, so that's both days. I would probably go high rep because I think those just work better with more tension and consistent time under tension. And then I would do two hip, ex- uh, hip extension movements. Um, like a bridge loaded from a bridge. So we had the, the stretch phase stretch based hip extension, which is going to be an RDL, but I would rather have a shortening based hip extension. That's really going to target the glutes more. So one day you might have a really heavy barbell glute bridge. You have less range of motion here. So we're not really emphasizing the eccentric, which is good. We're not going to have a ton of muscle damage, but we can really overload the movement. You can go a lot heavy on a barbell glute bridge because it's limited range of motion, and we're just isolating that contraction of the movement. And then on the second day, you're going to do a hip thrust, which takes you through an extended range of motion. Your hips actually sink lower, and you do get that stretch phase, creating more muscle damage, which might be favorable for hypertrophy. So the glute bridge day would probably be low rep, heavy weight. The hip thrust day would be high rep, lighter weight, moderate weight. So overall, we have two days a week where we're hitting both glutes and hamstrings. Both days, we're doing hip abductions. Both days, we're doing a bridge variation, low rep, high rep. Uh, both days, we are doing a stretch-based uh, um, stretch based hamstring movement, glute ham raise, and then RDL. And then both days, we are doing a contraction-based, a shortening-based hamstring movement, the lying leg curl versus seated leg curl. So I hope that helps, man. Um, that's four days, uh, two days a week of training your hamstrings and glutes. His second question was for nutrition. Are you putting out any other recipe books in the future? (laughs) No, um, we don't plan on it. We honestly created that for the sole purpose of giving our clients more resources. So to be completely transparent, uh, if you work with us on nutrition, you get access to basically everything we do. Um, You're going to get access to a discounted rate of the uh, Boom Boom Elite, which is our elite membership site where you get all my training programs, you get um, all my seminar recordings, you get exclusive content, you get access to the the weekly Q&A, so on and so forth. Um, But you also get access to uh, all of our eBooks when you're a client of ours, which means if you are a client of ours and you're struggling with training, hey, check out Functional Muscle, check out FIT, check out Density. Like we want you to train better and we don't want to charge you anymore for that because we just want to provide more value and we really want to make sure our clients get the best results possible, which is going to be a combination of training and nutrition. The second piece of that is, is we wanted to create a recipe book because we kept getting asked about recipes. Um, And uh, Courtney Hughes to work with us, who's still a good friend of mine, she was great at creating good recipes for our clients. And I was like, man, you're always sending these cool recipes to clients. It's easy for them to use because you give them the macros for it too. Let's just make a book. So we created the recipe guide. Um, I'll link that in the show notes. We do sell it, but when you're a client of ours, we just give it to you for free. So James, you are a client of ours, which means ask your coach. I believe you are working with Lisa. I'm almost 100% positive. So make sure you email her and ask her. She'll give it to you. We have access to it. We all do. Um, We give it to all of our clients. Um, And it's just easier because there's 101 macro-friendly meals. I'm assuming you already have it because you said, are you going to come out with another one? Um, Which tells me that you've used all the recipes in there that you like. There is no plan to create another one, but if enough people ask me, I guess guess we could put that in the works. Um, Supplement question. At what point would you would using adaptogens be recommended versus just reducing stress? Um, I would say if you have any uh, guaranteed dysfunction. So what I mean by that is you went to a doctor and they said, hey, like 
your hypothalamus has some issues and it's causing testosterone issues, right? Or we see that you have cortisol issues. We see that you have thyroid issues. We see this dysfunction on a neurological and or hormonal level. Therefore, reducing stress is going to be the biggest rock. It's going to help the most, but it wouldn't hurt to add some adaptogens into your day. Um, I would also say like, you know, even like lion's mane and things like that, that help cognitive function. Technically, that is an adaptogen. So even if you're like, hey, I just, I don't mind spending the money to get the upper edge. I'm going to do it so I can stay focused a little bit better. Perfect. I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I drank lion's mane almost daily for a long time because I just enjoyed working harder and being more productive. So I was willing to invest in that. So I think it's kind of one of those things where I honestly rarely think it's truly necessary because I don't think they, like, you're never going to find anybody that starts taking adaptogens and notices a huge difference or can truly say that the reason they got out of hormonal dysfunction is because they took ashwagandha. Like, yeah, studies show ashwagandha helps, but you have to have quite a bit of it and you have to supplement it with it very consistently. And it can be expensive. And the reality is, is reducing stress, improving sleep is going to go way further. So I would say the point where I recommend adaptogens to clients is when I know they have uh, hormonal deficiencies or dysfunctions, neurological deficiencies or dysfunctions. Um, They are anxious to get results, so they don't mind spending money on things. Um, and they've already accomplished all the fundamental rocks. So I will never recommend adaptogens if I know they're sleep as shit, for example, or I know that they're constantly stressing about X, Y, Z. I recommend, I, I teach my clients positive focus, journaling, meditation, things like that well before we implement adaptogens. Random question. If you could only drink one coffee for the rest of your life, what would it be and how would it be prepared? I'm, you know, I'm not a, I drink a lot of coffee, but I'm not like a coffee snob, um, which is funny because a lot of people are in S- Seattle. Um, I'm more of a wine snob than a coffee snob, to be honest with you. But if I were to drink one coffee for the rest of my life, I would have um, organic fair trade coffee. Um, I do like making sure I get coffee uh, organic because it is one of the most highly, if not the, it might be the highest uh, sprayed with pesticides uh, plant in the world. So it's good to go organic with that. I would probably get a local organic dark roast because I like really dark coffee. I like very bold coffee um, with two teaspoons of stevia and one scoop of collagen. I don't think collagen is a wonder supplement. Um, I think it tastes really good in my coffee, <laughs> to be honest. That's why I still buy it. Um, I, I do think it had a small effect in helping me with my surgery uh, recovery. However, I, I don't think it's what the companies crack it up to be. Um, but that would be my drink. The other drink that I get people asked about, ask me about all the time, and I've been tagged at uh, when people go to Starbucks for, is when I go to Starbucks and I get a I get a venti venti pike roast with skinny mocha and sugar free vanilla syrup in it. During Christmas, I used to do sugar-free peppermint, and it was so good, but they stopped selling the damn sugar-free peppermint because I think I was the only one getting it. Um, same thing with fall. They did sugar-free pumpkin, but they stopped. Pissed me off. Um, the reason I wouldn't pick that for the rest of my life is because I have to physically go to Starbucks to get it, and I know that it's not as healthy because there's a ton of artificial shit in there. So I like getting that, but I get that more on occasion when I'm out and about. Franco Guzman. What are your current physique goals? So my current physique goals are really more maintenance and then performance driven. So I'm actually 
I'm not really focused on building muscle. Um, I'd like to just maintain my leanness. Um, I got pretty lean for a shoot. I'm not shredded by any means, but I'm, I'm definitely lean. I can see my full six pack in the morning. Um, I'm not the best poser, but when I pose and flex, I can see quite a bit of muscularity and that was my goal, but I wanted to do it in a way that was sustainable. So I drank wine every week on the way up. I still have a date night and a family day every week, like really focusing on like what I preach in my content, um, versus let me do a full blown bodybuilding prep and get shredded, which there's nothing wrong with. Cause I still do prep, um, athletes at times, but that's a sport and that's what they're focused on. That wasn't my focus. So, um, I'm really happy with where I'm at. Um, I'm at a good weight where I feel athletic. I look lean and muscular. Um, like I'm, I feel good in my clothes. I feel good without them. Uh, I, I don't see any, like, I honestly don't have any physiques right now. I have the goal of increasing calories while maintaining, which so far I have, I think my, the lowest my carbs got. So I kept my fats. So, so you guys have an idea. I am at 161.5 pounds. I'm five, nine. So I dropped from like 175 all the way to 161 for this. Um, and I built muscle in the process for sure, because after surgery, I was, I didn't have much muscle. At least it wasn't showing because glycogen retention was down. Um, but I dropped that. I think my, my fats literally dropped to 50 right when we started and they've been at 50 ever since. And I feel good on 50 grams fat, no issues whatsoever. Um, my carbs got as low as 160 grams and I had one to two days a week of like super low, like 60 grams of carbs, like just veggies, like really low with a little bit more fats. I think it was like seven, 65, 70 grams of fats on those days. Um, protein's been steady at 200. So got down to 200 protein, 160 carb and 50 fat. And this week we bumped up to 200 protein, 225 carb and 50 fat. So I've already significantly increased my carbs and I feel really good. Um, performance is going well and I haven't gained single pound since the photo shoot. Um, so the reverse is actually going extremely well, which is what pays off for two things. Number one, I didn't get so shredded that I was more stressed. My biofeedback was poor. My sleep was suffering. My sex drive was suffering. Um, I had some performance drops at the very tail end, which I think is just truly just because I didn't have enough carbs coming in um, to PR. And I was like a little bit tired, but I was still managing my workouts. So because I got to the end result with pretty good biofeedback, the reverse is going a lot better because my body isn't dying for nutrients. Like I could have stayed in deficit for easily a few more weeks without having any issue. Um, but we got to where we wanted to be, got lean enough, and then we just immediately started bumping up. Um, took a couple baby bumps. I think we went to like 180, responded really well. 200 responded really well. 225 this week and responding really well. So, um, And that's really just two and a half weeks, not even three weeks yet that I've bumped up this much. Um, but again, if you take care of your body during the process and you manage your stress during the process, it helps a ton, um, during the reverse diet, if you want to stay this lean and I can, and I can confidently say it's healthy for me to stay this lean cause I'm not too lean. Um, so my physique goal is to continue maintaining. I don't want to like, it's, it's not a pissing match of how high I can get my carbs. So I'm not going to push my carbs up to a level where just to say like, I'm eating 400 grams carbs a day. Like I would rather keep them at a level where I feel good in the gym and I can maintain this leanness. So that's my goal. Like bring calories up to a point where I'm seeing new PRs in the gym, but I'm maintaining leanness, which is already starting to happen because I dramatically changed my training. So I've been doing aesthetic-based training, bodybuilding focus, upper lower splits um, for the last two to three years at least. Um, and we took a dramatic shift. So shout out to Kyle Ruth from Training Think Tank. Um, good friend of mine. He works at uh, Training Think Tank. 
they, I mean, they do a lot of CrossFit stuff. They do a lot of like collegiate and pro athlete stuff. Uh, they work with like Noah Olson, some people in the games. So there's a lot of more performance-based training and we did a complete switch. So I'm doing a lot of metabolic conditioning, a lot of plyometrics, a lot of knee rehabilitation, like really starting to work on explosiveness and my landing and my stability of my knee again. Um, and just overall strength, like dipping five reps and below, which I haven't done in years. Like <laughs> I never trained below six to eight reps because I just haven't had a real reason to go below six um, just because my goals weren't strength, right? It's always muscle or fat loss. So it's been, it's been fun. This has been week one of the performance training and I'm having a blast. It's just fun to get excited about training again, have something different, um, bring a new coach on. Um, I've known Kyle for a long time, but I haven't had a chance to work with him. So that's my physique goals. Uh, maintain the leanness, build strength, Eat more food. Pro Burke, when is it safe to actively lose fat after you recovered from hypothalamic? I'm going to butcher the shit out of this. Hypothalam hypothalamic. I never can pronounce. I was surprised I said hypothalamus properly <laughs> earlier. Hypothalamic am amenorrhea. Ooh, that lasted years rather than months. What is the safest way to lose some of the weight you had gained to had to gain to get your period back, providing there's no deadlines and no performance goals. I don't want to make this question too case specific, but generally you won't have more than 10 to 15 pounds to lose. But generally you won't have more than 10 to 15 pounds to lose and you're not going to be extremely lean after you lose it. There's very little information on this subject and doctors will usually tell you to learn to love your bigger body and try don't try to lose any weight. So I, this this is really, really hard because something like a hypothalamus disorder or amenorrhea, which is where you lose your period, is so individual because there's there's multiple reasons why you can lose your period, mainly from some sort of stress. But where that stress comes from definitely changes how we approach this protocol. Um, but since you said I don't want to make this 2K specific, which I actually appreciate because I think I can't make it 2K specific without saying, hey, let me have a conversation with you and going over a bunch of things. I think that the best way to look at this is actually saying to keep things pretty generic for everybody, the safest way to lose some of the weight you had to gain to get your period back, um, I, if you have no deadline, I would actually A, obviously focus on biofeedback and health, which I think you accomplished because if you got your period back that tells me that you achieved health. So just for context, people, if you lost your period, like if you're if you lost your period due to strength training, dieting, uh, CrossFit, bodybuilding, anything like that, any any way of changing your body, you have to stop and manage stress better to get your period back. Which means usually eating more food. It means probably putting on a little bit of body fat, really focusing on micronutrient dense foods, lowering training volume and intensity, getting more sleep. Like focus on those fundamental health markers before you go any further with your physique or performance goals. After you accomplish that, you gained your period back. You feel much better, and you're able to start training and focusing on something else again. At that point, I would probably actually focus on performance and building muscle before I focused on weight loss. I think that a lot of people could go a long way. If I have no deadline with a client and that's their situation, I would probably find maintenance, stay at maintenance, and target performance and muscle growth because I do think that you will see a recomposition and you would be able to build a better base. I see a lot of people who are in that range of, I need to lose the last 5, 10, 15 pounds 
And the reason they're stuck there and they can't bridge that gap is not because they have 5, 10, or 15 pounds to lose. It's actually because they have 5, 10, or 15 pounds of muscle to build. So if they had the same amount of fat on their body but more muscle, their body fat percentage would lower and the way your physique would look would be tremendously different, which is why we emphasize periodization so much inside of our coaching. It's like, hey, we can't just always target one goal of fat loss. We have to target or I'm sorry, weight loss, we have to target fat loss, which comes with phases where we actually focus on maintenance, we focus on stress management, we focus on building muscle. So for you, I would actually probably pull back, keep doing the things you're doing for health, I would focus on building muscle and try to see if a recomp happens. So you're gonna be around maintenance, focusing on giving your body the health it deserves, target performance and muscle growth metrics, and then every once in a while you implement a deficit phase to see what happens, see if you can create that fat loss. Um, I think you would... If you did it this way, I think you would build a better baseline, a better foundation to cut from, and therefore you would see better success. Thomas Babiak, proper way of measuring vegetables like squash, which has hit amounts, uh, I think you meant to write high, has high amounts of water prior to cooking and it is soggy when cooked. Weight changes, so it is a bit confusing to be accurate. Yeah, so um, I don't know the exact percentage, but for example, like with meat, and you can really just do a Google search for this and find out, but for meat, 25% of the water is cooked out when you cook it. So if you measure a steak raw and it is 10 ounces and then you cook it, it's probably going to be, I want to say that's 7.5 ounces, 25%, yeah, 7.5 ounces. So if I easy way to do this is if I enter in my fitness pal raw sirloin steak and I put 10 ounces, but then I do a bulk cooking of it, I take 7.5 ounces out of my bulk cooked and prepped steak and I eat that because you reduce it by 25%. Very, very simple. Um, but for vegetables, I'm not 100% sure and I think it might change because like squash is going to hold more water than some other vegetables, for example. Um, however, it can be pretty damn simple. Measure it when it's raw and you got it good. Um, the other way to do it is go into MyFitnessPal. If you are measuring it cooked, add it cooked into MyFitnessPal. Really simple. Same thing you asked about rice in the comment section of this question. Same exact thing. If you know that you are going to eat 175 grams of – or uh, an easy way to do this. Google search cooked rice. It'll tell you how much it weighs. I want to say, like, you can, like, I did it on a scale where I could actually read it to you right now, actually, because I had it um, for when I was, I did this calculation for a client way back. Pulling up my notes, guys. It's way down there because I haven't looked at it in a long time. All right, so um, for cooked rice, 210 grams of cooked rice, cooked jasmine white rice equals 60 grams of carbs. 250 grams of cooked white jasmine rice equals 70 grams of carbs. 175 grams of cooked rice equals 49 carbs. So I, I want to say um, one cup of cooked rice is about 49 carbs, and that's 175 grams. So, but all I did was Google search that. And then you can just correlate that to dry and then decide how you want to measure it. Really, really simple. And the, the reality is, too, is there's so much data in Calorie King and My Fat, uh, Fat Secret, My Macros Plus, My Fitness Pal, that you can just type in cooked jasmine rice. Or you can cook, or type in dry jasmine rice. You can cook, type in cooked zucchini, dry zucchini, right? And, and it's going to give you the answer that you need um, for squash and all that. To add to that, the last thing I will say on this, 
with things like vegetables, the caloric difference in that is so little because you can have a ton of, let's say you have zucchini like I just mentioned. Zucchini is a low-calorie food, so it's not going to make a huge difference. Butternut squash is a little bit starchy, a little bit more carbs, but it's not going to be a huge, tremendous difference. The only time I really major in the minor like this is when we are getting more serious and we're at a serious plateau. And at that point, it's as simple as a Google search to make sure that you are getting the right and accurate one. It doesn't matter if you do it cooked or raw. Just make sure that whatever you track in your app, it's cooked or raw, right? It's the same as what you're actually measuring and eating. Um, I prefer raw because it's more accurate, but things like rice, I cook a big thing of rice and I just Google search the calculations and boom, it's easy. Um, so yeah, don't overcomplicate it. Jen Lambert. Okay, so I want to tackle a marathon during my 35th year of life. Hell yeah, congratulations. So, January sometime. If so, I want to challenge my body to do an ultra marathon relay, maybe a hike like Machu Picchu. What is the best training plan you have? Okay, so challenge my bod body to do an ultra marathon relays, maybe a maybe to hike uh, Machu Picchu. So you want to do a bunch of shit. Best training plan you have and best way to avoid overuse injuries along the way. Stoked to take my body and mind to the next level. I would jump on FIT, functional intensity training. The reason I would do that is because it's full body. It's dynamic. Um, the exercise selection variance is huge. So you could run each microcycle, so each training week, one week at a time, or you can repeat it for two weeks each, or you can go through the whole eight-week program and then repeat for another eight weeks to make it 16. But I would definitely recommend that. Um, it's full body. It's going to hit more frequency. It's going to hit more movement patterns. It's just more functional in general. And the reason it's called functional intensity training is because there's a lot of metabolic conditioning involved. So you're going to be working all energy systems within this program, which is going to lead to a more well-rounded fitness level. That's the whole goal of it. So if you're talking about doing an ultra marathon, you want to hike, you want to do all these different things, the best way to do that is to actually attack your body from multiple angles. And I think that's the best way to do it. So I would go with FIT. I think it covers everything. And, and for a more generic answer, if you don't want to run one of my programs, um, I would just say a full body strength program that is very dynamic in nature when it comes to a movement capacity standpoint. So you're using multiple movement patterns every single day. You're doing a high variety of movement patterns so that you get your body accustomed to moving in different ways. And then I would add some kind of metabolic conditioning in there. So you're going to want to do some like resisted low intensity. So weight vest, walking or hiking or sled drags where you're walking for a long distance with a sled. You want to do some high intensity intervals. You want to do some moderate intensity intervals. You want to do some lactic based training where you're going for 30 to 60 seconds on the assault bike and your quads feel like they're just getting heavier and heavier. But stuff like that helps. Like it's a lot of dynamic um, variety. All right. I think I'm going through these at a pretty good pace. Next question is from Carmen Spitzer. I would like to know your opinion on power naps. Are they beneficial after a rough or short night, or does it hinder your sleep in the evening? So from the literature I'm aware of and from what I have heard from the two sleep specialists that I've had on the show, which I would recommend you go check out, really, really good podcast um, with a ton of solid information, they're great. I mean, both of them had good things to say about power naps. It, it's kind of like works like meditation to where um, they – essentially just kind of recharge you, right? It recharges your brain. It helps you tap into parasympathetic mode. It helps recovery. Um, there's no adverse effects um, when it comes to sleep. Um, I actually imagine it might be better because the more restless you get, the more tired you get, the worse your adrenal uh, fatigue gets. I know it's not called adrenal fatigue, but your adrenal wear and tear gets. And that leads to more of that like high cortisol, tired and wired feel because it's kind of like a fight or flight response. So I would actually say they'd help sleep um, 
my opinion on them is that I think they're great. Um, I don't do them <laughs> um, uh, because I can't, I literally, like, I just, I can't take a nap to save my life. I, I literally can remember one time I've taken a nap in the last no shit decade, 10 years. And that was in Las Vegas when I pulled and basically an all nighter. I had like one hour of sleep, went to breakfast, did some stuff. And I was like, yo, I'm skipping the pool party. I'm, I need to take a nap. Other than that, I don't think I've ever, I haven't taken a nap since I was a fucking baby. <laughs> like, I mean, literally, um, I've even tried to, um, I've even watched Shannon fall asleep right next to me and I'm just laying there with my eyes open. I just, I can't do it. Uh, my mind doesn't stop. Um, so for me, I don't use them. I wish I could. I think they're really beneficial for recovery, for stress management, for, uh, meditative purposes, for muscle growth, stuff like that. I think they're huge. Lauren Helton, recommendations on lifting for endurance athletes. Very similar to, actually, you know what? I would, I would change that thought. I was going to say very similar to the, the advice I gave to the ultra marathon. It can be similar. However, if you're an endurance athlete, I don't think you need to focus so much on all the different energy systems because you need to be really great at one. I, I do believe there's carryover, so I don't think it would hurt to focus on different ones. Um, but you only have so much time in a week. So for you, I would actually be more inclined to do high rep, hypertrophy work, bodybuilding, functional bodybuilding, really. Taking your body through functional movement patterns, um, mainly free weights. So we're mainly going to be doing body weight, um, weight vest, dumbbell, barbell, kettlebell, sandbag, stuff like that versus machines just because I want natural mechanics of your joints. Um, but I'm probably going to be working in that eight to 20 rep range, um, doing hypertrophy focused movements. I think that endurance athletes in nature tend to not hold as much muscle mass. So you don't want to gain too much and be heavy. And that's obviously the, uh, natural adaptation of the body. But I do think it's beneficial to take your muscles through a full range of motion and create more tension resistance in hypertrophy in them because they're, they'll be more resilient, but also because hypertrophy training is going to be a little bit better on the joints. Um, you're going to build produce more collagen. You're going to build stronger tendons. You're going to be stronger ligaments. Um, and that goes a long way, better bones. That goes a long way in long, uh, long duration endurance sports, um, especially running. So I would lean towards more of a functional bodybuilding approach where you're using good mechanics, good functional movements, um, through full ranges of motion and you're sticking in the hypertrophy rep range. If you're doing too much low rep stuff, it's just really hard on your joints. And I, I do believe that you're going to, experience more neurological damage, and that's going to cause an issue with uh, overall recovery, obviously. Um, so yeah, I would probably go with more of a uh, functional muscle approach. Um, I think if you're lifting three to four days a week like that, and then you're spending the rest of the time doing your endurance sport, I think you're in the perfect blend of training. And I really, really like timed sled drags with endurance athletes. Like I'm talking spending 20 to 30 minutes pulling a sled, just walking with it. But like, it's like nonstop tension. Like I really like that. It's a similar, uh, oxidative energy system where you're just working on aerobic capacity. You could do the same thing on a salt bike, but it's constant tension. It's really good with the ligaments and the joints and everything. So I, I really am a big fan of that. Um, what we got here? Eli James Maddelson. How would you personally go about trying to maintain as close to your recent photo shoot physique as you could? Let's say your job was fitness modeling. Well, unfortunately, nobody wants me to model for fitness. However, um, I am maintaining this physique. So the way I am doing it is uh, there's a few things. Like I think the obvious is I'm continuing to train. Um, smart training is going to be huge. Um, 
I am continuing to track macros. So I didn't get to the end goal and say, okay, now I can lay off the gas. I, I kept my precision and my accuracy within my tracking. I just reverse dieted properly. So I'm, yes, I'm increasing calories, but I'm not getting loose on my tracking. Like I took a few days, but I'm, I'm back on point with like measuring all my food and everything. Cause I think that's very important. A lot of people get really loose and then their calories get very, uh, range versus specific. And even in a reverse diet, we want to be specific to make sure that we're actually consuming the calories needed to reverse properly. So that, that's a big one. Um, but I honestly think like the two biggest things are going to be a, I didn't overdo cardio on the way down. So I didn't crush my biofeedback and I'm at a point now where I actually didn't have to adjust cardio because I enjoy the cardio I'm doing. The only cardio I did was 10-minute walks three times a day, which is a, just a norm for me now. Like after I got done with surgery, I went into this. I was like, I'm going to start walking more often because I sit a lot. Wake up in the morning, go on a 10-minute walk. After lunch, go on a 10-minute walk. Right after dinner with my daughter, go on a 10-minute walk, either right before or right after. So it's three times a day I'm going on a 10 to 15-minute walk. That didn't change. Um, that's a big one. My habits with that is, is I think that's huge. Like I didn't overdo cardio on the way down. And because of that, I can maintain cardio coming out, which means caloric expenditure isn't going to change a ton. Um, the only other cardio I ever did was if I wasn't training, I would go on a longer walk. So I'd go on 30 minute walk, which again, I enjoy being active every day. So that's easily sustainable. Um, the other part would be, kind of lost my train of thought to be honest with you. So I, I didn't overdo cardio on the way down. So it's easy to maintain. I'm reverse dieting properly. So I'm keeping precision. Um, and I think I just took my time man. like we pushed the, the photo shoot out. Actually, we didn't get to it when I wanted to, uh, we were supposed to do it in August and I pushed it to September because I was like, man, I want to be able to sustain this. So I don't want to ramp shit up to get there. Like, let's make this sustainable and be more conservative. So I think that helped. Honestly, that's the biggest thing is, is like I did it in a sustainable way. The only way to maintain a, a physique that you achieve is to do it in a way that's sustainable. And that's what I did. So I think like for me, there's not much tactic here, right? I'm just doing what I did to get here. And it's pretty easy to sustain. I, you know, I don't like drinking more than once a week. I drank once a week to get here. Um, I don't like going out to eat a ton. I'm going to go out once a week or maybe even less. You know, we like cooking food. So even if I have like a quote unquote free meal, it's usually cooked. Um, but I just like, I just really think like locking down the habits that got me here was the biggest thing. Like I have a set routine of habits that I know are sustainable and I didn't really step outside of my, my, my zone of sustainability. So to get here, I didn't start doing things that I didn't feel like were sustainable. Now, if I was to get hired for fitness modeling, I would say I'd have to get leaner, to be honest with you. Because if I'm fitness modeling, I'm getting on the cover of an advertisement, I probably need to be a little bit leaner than I am right now. Um, but I am literally three weeks away from that. So like if I was a fitness model, I probably would be staying here and most smart fitness models do. And then when they need to do a shoot, what they do is they do a depletion and a refeed two to three weeks away from the shoot and they look ripped and they go back to normal. So um, yeah, man, I think, I think that's honestly the, the biggest thing is I just built habits. I'm still training. I'm still doing the, the habitual cardio that I was doing. I'm still getting the amount of sleep I was getting. And, and because of that, I'm able to reverse diet and stay pretty lean. Christina Johnson Williams, when coming out of a cutting phase and starting a reverse diet, how many calories would you recommend to increase each week to minimize fat gain? It's so hard to say. This is so completely individual. I mean, you know, for some people, it makes the most sense to literally add 10 grams carbs a week. For some people, it's like 15 grams, but it's every other week. For some people, like for me, like obviously I have a pretty hyper responsive metabolism because 
um, which I wasn't expecting. But I will say this too. So one of the things it depends on is how hard you cut. So I think the more aggressive you cut, the more metabolic adaptation will occur and the harder it is to reverse diet, right? Because you're more likely to gain more weight if your body is in need of gaining weight. Since I did this in a more conservative and slow approach, it's easy for me to reverse diet. Week one, we added 20 grams carbs. Week two, we added another 20. Week two and a half, after literally four days, we were like, fuck, let's add more. And we added 25 grams more of carbs. My energy expenditure is probably going up. You know, like I'm standing right now. Usually I sit for podcasts. I'm probably taking more steps on my walks. I'm probably training harder. So as you add calories, your, your energy expenditure naturally goes up. That's part of reverse metabolic adaptation. So metabolic adaptation in a positive manner for us. Um, it's just natural habit. So when coming out of a cutting phase and starting reverse – the amount of calories will depend on A, how long they were in a deficit, B, how aggressive the deficit was, C, what I feel like their metabolic history tells me because I usually ask questions about past diets, how they've reversed in the past, how hard they've cut in the past, um, where their natural set point is. I usually know at that point, so on and so forth. And then I adjust from there. So it could be more conservative. It could be more aggressive. The deeper into a cut they are and the harder their, their body is taking it, so the worse their biofeedback is the more likely I am to make a pretty big jump at the beginning and then get kind of mini with the adjustments to keep leanness. Um, but usually, it, it's usually honestly 10 to 20 grams every one to two weeks of carbs, um, which, you know, that could be anywhere from 40 to 100 calories a week. It's very small. You know what I mean? Hundred like. Yeah, so if I'm doing 10 to 25, let me do math, 40 to, 200, 40 to 100 calories a week. Um, now, if I'm doing a 100-calorie jump, which that's a really good range. Usually, it's like 50 to 100 calories every one to two weeks. However, I have clients who have gotten really, really shredded for stage or photo shoots, stuff like that. We'll do a three to 500-calorie jump right out the gate, and then we'll go like 50-calorie bumps. Because we needed to get them out of that. It's more of a recovery diet. Hey, let's make an aggressive adjustment to get you feeling better. And then we'll make these mini adjustments afterwards to stay as lean as we can. So it's, it's very case dependent. Um, and the last thing I'll say with that is that if the person had to drop fat to get there, that influences it well. So it will still probably be 50 to 100 calories, but I might split that evenly with fats and carbs. Or I'll get their fats up to a place where I feel more comfortable and then bump carbs up. Um, but I'm a big fan of not lowering fats to a point where it's unhealthy hormonally or neurologically unless they are getting on stage. At that point, we have to cut calories and your hormones are going to take a hit no matter what. But like for me, like I said, in this cut, I only dropped my fats to 50. And that's plenty for me to have flexibility, to feel good, to be satiated, to not have any negative side effects with hormones, cognitive function, uh, sleep, sex drive, so on and so forth. So it kind of depends. So for me right now, I'm not even touching my fat. I'm just cranking my carbs up. So it, it's really case dependent. It's hard for me to say, but I hope that gives a little bit more insight into the things you would ask before making adjustments. Carmen Spitzer has another question. Are cold showers every day slash ice baths slash cold packs, et cetera, beneficial for someone who's almost always freezing in the cold months? It is also beneficial if that's because of thyroid problems. Um, so first and foremost, I am not um, Wim Hof himself. So I, I really can't give you an educated answer on this. Um, I think cold showers and ice baths are, at, uh, are beneficial in the mornings for health purposes, for neurological purposes, stuff like that. I think ice baths, cold showers post-training are negative for hypertrophy adaptations. 
because we want that inflammation and that systemic fatigue to take place so our body has to recover, rebuild, and create adaptation. Not utilize ice baths, ibuprofen, and cold showers in order to do the adaptation for us. That's why an ice bath is great for an athlete in between tournaments or competitions or, or CrossFit uh, meets and stuff like that. However, for a bodybuilder to be doing that or somebody generic gen pop that just wants to build muscle and look lean, you shouldn't be doing ice baths after training. Um, so it really depends. But I do think cold showers in the morning, if it's away from your training, I think that's positively beneficial for health, hormones, neurological function, so on and so forth. And Wim Hof kind of proved that. Um, I know a lot of people who do that. Um, it sounds like you're asking me because you're always freezing in the cold months. You're asking me if doing those things is going to create an adaptation that allows you to handle cold weather better. That I could not tell you. Um, it would make sense. I think the human body is an adaptation machine. I think if you do it enough, I think you sure as hell will adapt to it better and it'll be easier for you. However, it's just hard for me to say because I'm just not that knowledgeable in that. And then you said, is it also beneficial if that's because of thyroid problem? I'd say no. Like my intuitive and uh, my best educated answer on that would be no because I think if you are constantly cold due to a thyroid problem, I think you need to focus on the thyroid problem. When the thyroid is dysfunctional or your metabolism is dysfunctional, it's very likely that you are getting cold toes, nose, fingertips, stuff like that. And that's a, a cause of the thyroid being dysfunctional, not the weather, not your ability to adapt to ice baths and stuff like that. Lars Eric Garnaz Warsla. Damn. That's a tongue twister, bro. Shoot me an email or DM and let me know if you are. I'm, I'm assuming you're from, you're international. You're probably not from the United States because of the tilde over your, the A. Um, let me know where you're from because that's an interesting name. And let me know if I butchered the shit out of that. Best approach for an underweight man to build muscle and strength. I feel like the usual recommendation with 100 to 200 calorie surplus day is way too low to see any noticeable progress. I have tried that approach for about four months and I am gaining some strength but no size. So I literally would go 100 to 200 calories for sure. I would do that. I would wait two weeks. If you see zero weight gain whatsoever, then I would just bump it up again until you find your rate of gain. With gaining muscle, it, it's it's not one of those things like fat loss where metabolic adaptation takes effect as quickly for most people. Meaning if you bump up one to 200 calories, nothing happens. Bump up another one to 200, nothing happens. Bump up another one to 200. Now you're up, let's say 400 to 600 calories and you start noticing a quarter of a pound a week, which is really good. If you're gaining one pound a month, that's really good as a natural lifter. So if you get to that point, you know, if you're gaining one to two pounds a, a month and you're in that 400, 600 calorie surplus, stay there. Those gains are going to slow down. So you're not going to linearly gain two pounds, two pounds, two pounds, two pounds over 12 months and just be 24 pounds bigger. It's going to be two pounds, two pounds, one and a half, one and a quarter, one, one, three quarters, one. And it slows down because after that point, you've kind of found your sweet spot of gaining. If you add more and more calories, you're really just going to gain fat. So at that point, once you find your zone of, of steady lean gains, what you really want to do is you want to optimize training, stress, nutrient timing, sodium intake, stuff like that. Start taking creatine, start doing intra-workout carbs, start splitting up your meals better around training, start getting eight hours of sleep a night, start doubling down on that stuff and I guarantee you'll see better gains. Because we got to remember too, the stress of training is the, 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 is the stimulus that creates Sorry, I should reverse that. The stimulus of resistance training is the stress that creates the adaptation of muscle growth. Therefore, we can't solely rely on nutrition. Nutrition gives us the surplus to provide the energy needed to recover from that stimulus. 
This is why there's actually studies coming out now, and I think there's a couple in the works right now um, that are going to be game changers for the industry and for this, the educational space. But they're essentially leading to the idea of, you know what, you really can build muscle at maintenance because if your maintenance caloric intake is optimized, your stress is optimized, and your training is structured in a way that creates the proper stimulus to provide the stress needed to create adaptation – you're going to see muscle growth, even though you're not in a surplus. So I think for you, man, I think it's better to find that sweet spot of where you're gaining a little bit and then optimize everything else. Then you'll start gaining weight. Um, yeah, and just and, and if you need more help with that, man, shoot me an email. Cody at Boom Boom Formats. Let me know what you're doing right now. I would love to help you in, in more detail if I can. Amantha Yoshida. I'd like to hear you talk about how the nutrition coaching process works for your team. Philosophy, how check-ins work, how you pair a client with a coach, et cetera. Thanks. Hell yeah. I love this question, um, obviously. So uh, the way it works with our team is uh, it's application-based. So obviously, there's, there's a link in the show notes. If you guys are interested in nutrition coaching with us, click apply. Um, you'll get a call with us. That's the first step. We like to go over a call completely free, no commitment needed just to see who the client is. Like we're very, very individualized and I'm gonna stay true to that till the day I die. So it's never templated, it's never generic. So when we get on the phone, it's, it's an interview. It's asking the client about them as a person. You know, like let me find out more about you. Like obviously, where are you at and where do you wanna be so I can help you get there? But also, what's holding you back? What is your family life like? What is your day-to-day -day life like? What is your sleep like? What is your stress like? What are your stressors? Right, let's talk, let's deep dive into this. What struggles have you had in the past with dieting and with training? What injuries have you had? We're gonna really zone into every aspect of your life so I can take the science, take the evidence, and we can create an applicable program and nutrition plan that actually fits your life so you can stay consistent with it. Once we have this interview, which is usually done with myself or one of the team members, um, once we get application in, we base who gets on the phone with them based on two things. A, who I feel like would be a good fit for the client based on the application. So the more info, the easier that is for me. Um, and B, my schedule. I still take calls even if I'm not the one coaching them. So a lot of times people apply. I'll jump on the phone with them. I'll get to talk to them for a while. And then sometimes they end up working with Lisa, Adam, or Caroline. Sometimes they work with me. But I still take calls. However, if my, uh, my calls are booked for the week, then I might pass it on or we might schedule it for the next week if I'm going to take the person on, so on and so forth. Once we get on the phone and I learn more about their personality type or the coach does, then we can determine, A, can I truly help this person? B, are we a good fit to consistently work together? And C, is, are they best with myself, speaking for me and the coaches, or one of the other teammates on the Boom Boom Performance team? Um, after that, they're ingrained in the system. Once they are ingrained into the system, which we do take over, uh, take care of on, on the phone if we decide to move forward, we go through starting protocols. So this is where we get pretty detailed with our, uh, our assessment phase. So all the detailed questionnaire questions, obviously our, our questionnaire is pretty long um, because we like to have a lot of information about the client. So we go through the questionnaire, we go through before pictures, we teach you how to take before pictures, we go through measurements, we teach you how to do measurements, we go through liability stuff, we go through medical history, we go through your food logs, we assess your nutrition, we go through a lot of detailed stuff before we even get started. Once we get started, at that point, you have more communication with your coach to decide what the best approach is going to be for you. And then based on your assessment, based on the interview, and based on the communication going forward, then we can dictate what your prescription looks like, whether we're going with macros or not, whether we have a specific periodization plan or we need to build a foundation for you first, uh, what nutrient timing looks like, what supplementation looks like, what habits look like, if we are going to ingrain any mindset coaching. So meditation, journaling, sleep, stress management, stuff like that. 
it's so hard for me to say because it's so individualized, but it really does start with the application, filtering to one of the coaches, an interview process, a, a pretty detailed questionnaire and assessment process, and then from there, proper prescription and communication to build a foundation for the client. Once we can build this foundation and we kind of create this baseline, then we can predict and periodize the rest of the program the training, the nutrition, how these integrate together, what this is going to look like this week and next week versus next month versus next quarter. And we can kind of map this out on a timeline for the individual so they can not only see from a nutrition and training perspective how this is going to evolve and progress, but from a physical body composition perspective, how am I going to progress through fat loss phases and maintenance phases and diet breaks and things like that. Um, after that, you're coaching with us. So you get 24-7 access to your coach. Uh, we are available every single day, and we make sure of that. We are, you know, all of us spend time on email. Um, obviously, we have lives, but uh, we do prioritize our clients. I mean, all of the people that work on my team, this is our full-time job. So there's, you're, you would never work with a coach that works with us that has another thing going on. Like this is this is our life. This is what we do, and I and I'm really happy to say that because um, not only because we're able to do this full time, but because it allows us to really put all of our energy into becoming better from an educational standpoint, and then delivering more from a coaching standpoint. Um, but yeah, our philosophy is individualization. So you are a different individual from a an accountability standpoint to a nutritional prescription standpoint to a training design standpoint to a goals standpoint to a lifestyle standpoint to a communication and accountability like to every single detail so we adjust and tailor basically every step of the road to make sure that you can adhere to it because there's so many ways to skin a cat i'm not going to pigeonhole you into one method um, i'm going to suggest my methods and my strategies and then i'm going to tweak them and manipulate them so that you can adhere to it better. And my team is on the same wavelength. We all use the same systems. Um, we all have the same certifications. We all have the same everything, uh, most of the same certifications. But we all are constantly educating in the same way. Um, every single client gets a weekly check-in. So you asked about check-ins. Check-ins are mandatory, um, but communication is free. So, And what I mean by that, it's open. So any day you can reach out if you have questions, obviously. And we communicate with our clients throughout the week. However, we do require a mandatory check-in and we do say like, hey, this is your responsibility. Like you're committing right now and I want you to have this responsibility. I need you to check in with me every week and there's a formal way to do that. Um, if it's too loose and not formal enough, there's no respect and responsibility built in. There's no system. We need structure as humans to be successful. So there is a very structured process in our check-ins. We have a daily check-in tracker. We have a weekly check-in tracker. We combine these every week in our assessment every week. We look, we adjust, we progress, um, we tailor, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's mandatory. Again, you get unlimited access to us as a client. However, the weekly check-in is like, hey, this is our mandatory thing to make sure that you are consistent, you are staying accountable, and I have the data I need to tweak and adjust to make sure that next week I can see where we're at again and I can adjust again if I need to, right? And we can see the long-term plan and we can see how you are fitting into the mold of what we are trying to create. Um, so I, I there, there's a lot involved with it and there's also a handful of things I'm leaving out because we do some extra things to make our clients happy, to make our clients learn more, to make our clients have more education, have more access, have more resources, understand what we're doing better. Um, there's a reason why our clients get really great results, and I'm not going to reveal all those because that's part of working with us. Um, 
and I know I have a lot of coaches that listen to us and there's, there's a, a mystery factor to what we do. And I'm going to leave that a mystery factor because you got to work with us to experience that and to see what we can do for you. But overall, like this is the last question that we'll do today. We still have a few more that I didn't get to, but they'll be on next week. Um, but the main thing I want to convey to you guys is we are one of the truly individualized coaching companies. And I say that with confidence because individualized Coaching is a term that's thrown around loosely, but it takes a truly evidence-based practitioner to take research and implement it in an individualized and tailored manner and to build a relationship with their client. Really, really big on that. We are truly individualized and we focused on three main things that truly get people results. Strategy. If you do not have a structured strategy and a system to get you where you want to be, it's not going to happen. Accountability. If you are not consistently keeping people accountable, they won't stay consistent, and consistency is the, the, it's the bread to the butter, the butter to the bread, <laughs> however you want to say it. And then the third thing is going to be human connection. It's so much more than just macros. It's so much more than just a diet plan. It's so much more than just a menu. It goes much deeper than that. It's human connection, and that's what builds relationships, and that's what builds true longevity in our clients and the results they see. And I will add a fourth thing. It's education. We go a lot further than any of the companies I know of on education, I teach our clients everything so that they can do this on their own. I work myself out of a job on purpose because I want people to come back in two years and be like, I still have the results you helped me achieve because you taught me how to do it. And I think we are truly one of the only people in the industry that do that. So I hope that was a concise enough answer, a dense enough answer for you, Amantha. Um, I hope that you are thinking about working with us. I don't know you yet, but I would love to chat with you and I would love to, to get you involved with our team. And if anybody else is listening, it is fall. We have three months, like literally three months until 2020. And I wasn't planning on doing a sales pitch right now, but the reality is, is that we are the truly individualized coaching company and we are ready to work with you to help you get to the place you wanna be in 2020. Three months is not that long. And it's crazy to think about this year's almost over. Summer is done, holidays are almost here. If you need strategy, accountability, and human connection to see what you could truly achieve before the next year is here, please reach out. This is what we do full-time, every day of our lives. We want to help you. There's a link in the description. Everybody else and who I am talking to now, I appreciate you guys for listening. Please do me a favor and leave us a five-star rating review if you enjoy this podcast. And make sure you jump in the Facebook group so you can ask questions for next week. I will catch you next time. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. 
This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.